The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Our Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapters 3, uh, verse 29, that's the very last verse of uh, chapter 3, through chapter 4, verse 7. Galatians three twenty-nine through chapter 4, verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, we look to you in faith to speak to us in and through your holy word. Help us now to push through distractions, short attention spans, tiredness, or indifference, so that we may listen well. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are. 2020, the dawn of yet another new year, a a new decade, and if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have well past moved beyond Christmas. Even saying Happy New Year is beginning to sound stale, and it's only, what, the fifth. The civic calendar marches on, Valentine's Day is in our sights, and yet, here we are on this second Sunday of Christmas, indeed the 12th and the last day of Christmas. And I get it. I grow tired of the same Christmas carols in heavy rotation, even songs that I love, the same commercials on TV and jingles on the radio. I'm, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> At the dawn of yet another year, with a lot of pressing challenges staring starkly out at us, how you doing? 
How are you doing? Specifically, as you look back to another Christmas almost in the books, I wonder if you ever felt that thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices that we sang about. The weary world, I'm there. Thrill of hope? Not so much. I've titled this sermon, In the Fullness of Time, Redemption Accomplished, because I'm absolutely convinced that the reason the Christmas message of Emmanuel, God with us, joy to the world, the Lord is come, largely bounces off us, even for those among us, which is most of us in this room, who are uh, Christians, is because we are not captivated by this message. Why is that? Well, there are many reasons. Endless distractions, finding our identity in other stories often imposed on us, and of course what I just mentioned, we are world-weary. Here in Galatians 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul paints a wonderful picture, a snapshot of the Christmas story. It's not in its totality, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, it's a portion of it. And it's one that if we were to rightly know, comprehend and apply, it will turn your life upside down. In his letter to the church in Galatia, he emphasizes that there's no other gospel that we're justified or made right before God, not by our works, but by faith in Jesus. And so now in the, in the middle of this letter, writing about attempting to be justified by doing works of the law, he does it by using three things, illustration, situation, and apprehension. And as he does so, his aim in this passage is simple. It is to produce in the reader doxological wonder and joy at the redemption that is ours in Jesus. I'll repeat that again. The aim of this text is to produce doxological wonder and joy at the redemption that is ours in Jesus. Let's jump into the text. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 29. After Paul spent some time teasing out the purpose of the law, what it means to be a, a descendant of Abraham, he gives the church a, a sort of breather, as it were, from some heavy doctrine in verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. What does he mean? How does being Christ's, therefore, mean that you're also Abraham's offspring? What's the point Paul here is trying to make? Well, then the illustration that follows in chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along with me, verses 1 through 3. I mean that the heir 
as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what's his point? He's comparing the church before the incarnation of Jesus to being legal heirs to their father's inheritance. Now, I doubt many of us here, maybe no one, I I don't want to presume, have exceedingly materially wealthy parents or maybe grandparents. And a wealthy parent should be wise how and when he or she loosens their purse strings. And what do they do with, if they have an inheritance to give? They wait till the child is old enough to appreciate and manage the wealth, right? They're not going to just give it to them uh, because they'll, they'll, they'll tend to squander it. They won't care for it. They won't appreciate it as, as they ought. And that's Paul's point here. Till that time comes, he compares that child to, uh, to a slave. Now, slavery, especially in our culture, with our history, is understandably a hot-button issue. We are a nation built on the backs of slaves. But in the Apostle Paul's time, slaves didn't mean what they meant in the history of the U.S. They were indentured servants, not property to do with as one uh, so desires. A slave in Paul's time was then, therefore, under the care and guardian of their masters. Similarly, Paul is saying, the church was enslaved, but instead of by a person, we were enslaved by what he calls elemental principles or spirits in verse 3, that is, a power wholly outside of ourselves that is also exerting unspeakable power within. And using this illustration of slavery, Paul wants us to know that this is our situation. And of course, it's bleak. And he's driving it home to us with this illustration because he wants us to so identify with this child who will one day receive an inheritance. In other words, he wants us to enter into what it means to anticipate, to long for this inheritance, so much so that you, you ache for it, that it hurts. Have you ever had to wait so long for something that you've been anticipating for years? Just hits you to the heart? Maybe it's a job or a relationship, whether a healthy new one or one that you're hoping will get better. It could be 
a myriad of things. And the longer it lasts, the more that it hurts. This is what Paul wants us to feel. But then, in verse 4, he turns from illustration to the positive reality of our situation. But then, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Let's just back up for a moment and ask the question, that phrase, the fullness of time. What does that mean? Here's where it's helpful to use our imaginations, not to escape reality and enter some fantasy world, but to let sublime reality in Scripture pierce our ho-hum existence. The fullness of time. The fullness of time. I think we often treat the incarnation of Jesus as being kind of one-dimensional. That Jesus shows up on the scene, he, there was an empty manger, he's there, he, and, and, he, and he kind of shows up on his own accord, of his own volition. But consider the situation from a bird's eye view. Listen up. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that coexisted throughout all eternity in perfect, unbroken, blissful, communal worship and love and adoration of one another. They had no, absolutely no need to go outside of that perfect, blissful, triunal love and harmony and communion. Had a plan together to redeem humanity. A humanity that thumbed their noses at their creator in Genesis 2, and on the heels of the fall, God promises a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. One that will bruise the serpent's head. And so what do we see? Throughout the entire Old Testament, all the prophets, the priests and the kings, through countless animal sacrifices, Shedding of blood. All why? Why, why, why? Because we need atonement. Our sin needs to be covered. All is in an attempt to look and point and anticipate the coming Messiah. The one where all the promises of the Old Testament are perfectly and finally fulfilled. We spoke earlier of wanting something so bad that it hurts, right? Never has there been such a longing as this. It is a longing that overshadows every other longing. Until, until the fullness of time. When the Creator ruler and sustainer of all things determined, now's the time. 
This is the time. The wait is over. Redemption is accomplished in Christ the Son, becoming one of us, real flesh, real blood, emotions, feeling, pain, joy, all the myriad of experiences of the human condition and existence, save, of course, that he did not sin. All to redeem us. But to what end? To make us his children. To adopt us as his beloved sons and daughters. Slaves and orphans no more. And now Paul says, Jesus' very spirit is at work in us. And it's a spirit that helps us to cry out in this language that is dripping with familial intimacy. Abba, Father. And yet that's not all. That is not all. Yes, we're now adopted sons and daughters and back to Paul's illustration, we're something more. Do you see what it is? We are heirs, heirs of the promise fulfilled in Christ, our Redeemer, that He is going to come to forever and finally bring us home to Himself. We are heirs according to this grand, majestic promise. And so we wait for the time when he returns, his final return, when he will gather us to himself and he will judge the world and he will make all things new. This is undeniably objective theological truth, but it's more. This, my friends, is truth meant for us, right now, where you are, to subjectively experience. Paul is saying, you have moved on from slavery to sons and daughters, from orphans to God's own precious people. And he places the very spirit of Jesus into our hearts as a sign and a seal of his covenant-keeping love for us forever and ever and ever. So what now? What now? We walk in this identity as his redeemed, beloved, adopted sons and daughters. And amid a weary world bruised and broken by the fall all around and even within. We look together to our Redeemer and we rejoice. We rejoice in our newfound status. It is a status that will completely alter the core of our very existence.
brothers and sisters. At the dawn of 2020, Paul's words here in Galatians are meant to induce unfathomable, palpable, eternal wonder and joy. Why? Because the Redeemer has come. Your status has changed. Your identity has changed. You're His. You are His. We are His. And His promises in Jesus are being worked out in you, individually and even together as a church, even when it is hard to see it or even to believe it. And although we live as exiles in this world, no matter how dark it gets, and it does get dark, doesn't it? Remember, you, 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 you are His. He is our Father. Christ is our brother. And so we too are family. It's one that we didn't choose, but it was chosen for us in Christ. Together, let's look to our Father, appealing to Him who sent Jesus to redeem us out of slavery into sonship. And so rejoice in your redemption this last day of Christmas. Rejoice in your Redeemer. Let's ask the Lord to help us do just that. Would you please pray with me? Abba, Father, we praise you this morning on this last day of Christmas for the redemption that is ours in Christ. That in your perfect sovereign decree and will, when the fullness of time came, that he left his Father's throne above and condescended to become one of us to finally and forever fulfill the promise of rescue and redemption that only he could achieve. And so, we look to you now, asking for your help, empowered and indwelt by the very Spirit of Christ living inside us. Oh, that we would not only know our redemption, but to marvel, wonder, and rejoice in it. And so, to be changed by it from the inside out. Not just during Christmas, but throughout the year. Do these things for your glory, our good, and the good of a watching world. For we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.
This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening, and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.